Your theme last weekend was the power of the cross. And uh, I think we need to, to stick to that theme. Uh, because we don't preach about the cross just once a year. And I like what Reinhard Bonke says. He speaks, he has a book called From Minus to Plus. And if you look at the cross, you'll see there's a plus sign there, speaking about the power of the cross. And we know that um, last weekend we celebrated the most important dates in the Christian calendar. And in my opinion, more important than Christmas. Because the world makes a big fuss of Christmas, but they do not recognize Christ. And Christmas without acknowledging the cross is an empty celebration. So the cross of Calvary has a number of important implications for us. And let me mention just a few. Firstly, Christ became our substitute. He took our punishment. He died in our place so that we could be pardoned and receive the gift of eternal life. He also gave himself as the perfect sacrifice because his blood cleanses from all sin. And he also gave his life as ransom. He paid the price for our redemption, liberating us from spiritual slavery. But what I want to focus on today is the battle that took place there. Let me just say to the worship team, where are they? Uh, they must please the last song that they sang. They must sing again at the end because that is so, so fitting. And can I just say, Pastor Victor, like last week, Pastor Lewis preached my sermon before I got up and you stole my scriptures again. <laughs> but I, I'm so thankful because of confirmation that we're on the right track and that the Holy Spirit wants to bring the message through. So my focus today is on the battle that took place on Calvary. And uh, Christ became our victor and he won the battle and he disarmed our common arch enemy. Now, I know I'm giving my age away when I'm quoting a, a, a Gaither song, Bill and Gloria Gaither. <laughs> But they describe this battle so graphically in one of their songs. And I'm just going to read a few lines uh, of that song. It says this. There's a line that's been drawn through the ages. On that line stands the old rugged cross. On that cross, a battle is raging for the gain of man's soul or his loss. And then they describe the forces of evil on one side and Jesus on the other side on that, that uh, day. And then it says, the earth shakes with the force of the conflict. The sun refuses to shine for there hangs God's son in the balance. And this really was the battle of all ages. And so the title of my message, as you can see, is the conquest of Christ on the cross. Because that's where the victory was won for us. Now, I want to emphasize some factors today that will help us to see that this, it made this victory of Christ even more significant. And uh, I, I might shock you, surprise you, but let me make this statement and then I'll qualify it in the sermon. It was actually unlikely 
for Jesus to triumph over the devil. It sounds like a shocking statement, but I, I'll, <laughs> I'll try and prove it from, from Scripture. Because I'm going to show you how the devil had all the advantages. How everything, all the odds were stacked against Jesus. And against all odds, <laughs> he defeated the enemy. So if you don't mind, and I know Australians like their sports too, because uh, you have some nice weather like we have. And so we're going to use a, a, a number of sports analogies to try and just make clear and comprehensible this conquest of Christ on the cross of Calvary. So here's the first factor that made the conquest of the cross so remarkable. And I'll just see if my clicker works. It is on. Okay, you'll have to help me there. There we go. Here's the first factor, and I, I, again, whatever I say, I want to prove from Scripture. Jesus took on Satan as a man. And let me immediately qualify this. I am not doubting for a moment that Jesus was not the Son of God. Jesus was, Jesus is, and Jesus will always be God. But what I'm going to show you from Scripture is that he actually laid down, not his divinity, but his divine rights and privileges and power and took on Satan as a man. Now, how can I compare a man taking on an extremely powerful fallen angel like the devil? Now, I know this sports analogy will not do justice to this disparity in power, but it's like this. And I had to go and, and, and research a little bit because I know you're into into Aussie rules, which we don't know. But in the 1940s, the smallest player that ever played footy was a man called Nipper Bradford. And uh, just in your imagination, see a small player like that having a collision with a heavily armored American football player. There's no chance for him to survive. Or if you are into cricket, uh, think of the mismatch of an under 10 school cricket team playing against the Baggy Greens. Now, I know these analogies don't even come close to describing the disparity that there was, so let me go to the Bible. In the beginning, God made man. And maybe I should just qualify what I mean by man because I know it's not politically correct to say man. I'm using the word man in the sense of human beings. It's a singular noun, but I'm using it in the plural sense, designating men and women because to it's laborious to try and explain it every time, and it doesn't even sound right to say men stroke women. Thank you for somebody that got it. And it's even worse to say men slash women. So that's why I'm going to, <laughs> so I'm going to use the, the term man. So when God made man, 
he gave man authority. He created man and gave them a legal dominion. But then Satan came and in a deceitful way illegally took that authority. In fact, robbed that authority because Satan never plays fair. But God had a plan to restore that authority and he was going to do it on a legal way. You see, for God, listen to me carefully, to take back the authority from Satan would not have been fair or right because he gave it to man. So he could not take the authority back as God. It had to take a man to take the authority back again. That's why Jesus had to become human, 100% human. So we need to have an appreciation of his perfect humanity. Jesus wasn't 50% God and 50% man. He was 100% God, but didn't use his divine rights. And he was 100% man. That's what we need to understand. And God had this legal plan in place, and God set his will to restore the authority back to us. Now, there's a scripture, a prophetic scripture in Isaiah 9, which we quite often quote um, during Christmas time. And here's what it, what it says. It says that unto us a child is born. What does a born child speak of? Humanity. Unto us a son is given, divinity. But then I like the next phrase, and it says, And the government shall be on his shoulder. What is government? Authority, power. That's why Jesus became a man. To get that power back from Satan. And Jesus had to be born legally. And there's only one way to have legal authority on earth, and that is to be born into a physical body. So uh, a birth is legal entry into the earth. That's why you need to realize this. Demons seek to inhabit a body, anybody, <laughs> to have power here on earth. And the Holy Spirit, if he wants anything done, who does he work through? Through believers. So Jesus, in um, God's plan, you see, in God's sovereignty, he could have had Jesus coming to this earth as a grown-up man. But Jesus had to experience everything of humanity that there is to be experienced. And he was born as a helpless child. And, and that makes his... Um, his challenge and his encounter with Satan on the cross even more uh, remarkable. So Jesus had to be born of a woman. Jesus had to become like us in all respects. Jesus even had to be tempted like us. Now, I, I don't have the time to go into this, but please go and, and, and study this at home. And here's something interesting in the temptation of Jesus. Every time Satan tested him, he started like this. If you are the son of God. What was the temptation about? Those divine rights and privileges and powers that Jesus laid down, Satan tempted him to pick up those things illegally. 
But Jesus defeated him as a man using what is available to us today because every temptation Jesus answered in this way and he said, it is written. You have the word of God. You have the sword of the spirit like Jesus had. And the sword of the spirit is powerful. Even though the devil might not understand the sword of the spirit, he'll get the point. (laughs) Amen. So Jesus was born like a woman, became like us in all respects, tempted like us, and had to be subject to death just like us. And Calvary, I want you to know, was a power struggle. It was a battle for authority. So Jesus took on Satan as a man, but a man that knew where his power came from. And Jesus drew from the resources of God, and that's how he defeated the enemy. Now, if you read in Philippians 2, there's a very interesting passage there, and I wish I had, uh, I had the time to go through this whole passage. But um, a very interesting scripture because it speaks about how Jesus emptied himself. And you can see there in, um, in verse 6, there's an interesting phrase used there. It says that he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, I'll be honest with you. If you read that in English, it doesn't make sense. Because it's a Greek idiom that is translated. What does it mean that Jesus did not consider it robbery to be equal with God? You see, a thief steals by deception. A robber steals by force. And that is the picture that that Paul wants to describe here. Let me put it in, in simple words. Jesus did not hold on to his equality with God with force, like a robber would hold on to something that he wants to steal. Jesus willingly let go of his equality with God. And as you, and here's some more homework, I'm going to read that passage at home. As you read it, look how Jesus did everything himself. Nobody took the power from him. Nobody took his life from him. It was not the Jews who killed Jesus or the Romans. Jesus laid down his life willingly. Jesus emptied himself. You will see as we read along that it speaks about how he humbled himself. And incidentally, humility is something you have to do yourself. Don't ask God to humble you. God's not in the humbling business. He's in the exalting business. (laughs) He gave you a a DIY kit to humble yourself. Amen. So it's very interesting that it says that he made himself of no reputation. And the Greek word word literally there means he emptied himself. He made himself of no effect. He neutralized. He made void himself. As I said, he laid down his divine rights, privileges, and powers. And then he went down further. He says, it says he came in appearance as a man. And not just a man, he actually took on the disguise of a slave. I like how this uh, 
translation actually puts it in the Living Bible. It says, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God, but laid aside his mighty power and glory. Wow. That's what he did. And I wish I had time to, to, to speak about this, but what is so, so significant there is that it says at the end of that passage that he did not die an ordinary death, but he actually died the death of the cross. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a cross, says the law. He died the death of a criminal. And Jesus did all those things so that we could have the victory. So he willingly did not use his divine rights, privileges, and powers. Why did he do this? Because he wanted you to become a child of God. And as a child of God, you can overcome the enemy because he took on Satan as a man. Hallelujah. He laid down his rights. Uh, I, I want to put it this way. Jesus surrendered his rights for our wrongs and gave us the victory. Hallelujah. Okay, so the second important factor that makes the victory of Jesus even more remarkable is that Jesus allowed Satan to have home ground advantage. Now, let me again explain or try to explain um, home ground advantage by means of an analogy. You know in any sports game, especially cricket, home ground holds a huge advantage. Number one, if you played the MCG as the Baggy Greens, they are familiar with the conditions. They know when they win the toss whether they should bat or bowl. They can prepare a pitch that suits their bowlers. And what is important, they have the crowd behind them. Home ground is vitally important. Now, in a sense, and I'm, I'm going to prove it from Scripture, this world is Satan's home ground. You might say, but did God not make this world? Of course he did. But... Remember, Adam and Eve committed high treason. They handed everything over to Satan. He became the ruler of this world. And here's what it says about Jesus. When Jesus came, uh, he's spoken of as the Word. And it says, the Word was in the world. And though God made the world through him, yet the world did not recognize him. So what happened? God made the world, made man, Gave man authority, but Adam and Eve disobeyed uh, uh, God. They were deceived by Satan. They ignored God's commands, and they fell from a position of authority, and they became slaves. Slaves of Satan, slaves of sin, slaves of sickness. No longer ruler of this world. Satan, let me again emphasize, in a deceitful way, became the ruler of of this world. Now, let me give you some scriptures in the New Testament that actually confirms this. Because here's what Jesus himself said. He said, the ruler of this world is, is coming. That's what Jesus called it. I like the rest of what Jesus said. It's, he says, he has no claim on me. Hallelujah. So Jesus was going to, 
to overcome him. Then when, when Luke tells about the temptation of Jesus, it says that the devil took Jesus on a high mountain and then showed him all the kingdoms of this world in a moment of time. And then he said these words. He said, all this authority I'll give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me. Let me stop there for a moment. So far, Satan was speaking the truth. We know he's a liar. But so far, he was speaking the truth. The kingdoms did belong to him. It was given to him by whom? Adam and Eve. We saw that. Now, here's the lie. I give it to whomever I wish. No chance. Especially not to Jesus. But can you see there that, again, Luke confirms that he's the ruler of this world. Listen what Paul calls him. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, he calls him the God of this world who has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. So Satan still has control over unbelievers. And just incidentally, Jesus can break that control that he has over sinners. Satan still exercises authority, though it's illegitimate authority. He has a temporary lease on this earth, if I can put it that, that way. But here's the good news for us as believers. Here's what Paul says in another place in Colossians 1 and verses 13 and 14. God has freed us from the power of darkness, and he brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. Hallelujah. You are no longer under control of the enemy. You are in a different kingdom. You might be in this world, but you are not of this world. Praise God for that. And we live, we know, we live in a broken world, a fallen world. We may still have battles, but we have the victory through Jesus. And here's what Paul confirms. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. He says, but against uh, uh, the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But go and read the rest of that passage, and you'll read Victory between the lines. Amen. And then I want to give you a last verse, and I think this is an important one. In 1 John 5, 19, it says, We know that we are children of God and that all the rest of the world around us is under Satan's power and control. So Satan may have power over this world, but we are not under his rule. Hallelujah. God's plan was to liberate us. So in his own backyard, on his own home ground, Jesus took on the ruler of this world. And I'm going to show you a scripture later where it actually says that there, there was uh, spectators on this day when this uh, battle took place in this arena. And I can imagine, and sometimes my imagination goes a little bit too far but at least it's sanctified imagination. I can imagine the demons cheering on their cheating champion. 
And I'm sure you're familiar with what is called the Mexican wave, which became popular in 1986 with a soccer World Cup. But I can imagine the demons there, the home crowd, doing a dark, demonic, devilish Mexican wave. <laughs> but then that wave fell flat because their champion was defeated by Jesus. In his own backyard, Jesus whipped him. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. He deserves all the applause. So let me say this again. You are in this world, but you are not of this world. We're living in a fallen world, but he lifted us up. We're living in a broken world, but he made us whole. We're living in a dark world, but he made us the light of this world because Jesus has overcome this world. That's the message of the gospel. The last factor that I want to focus on is that Jesus gave Satan the choice of weapons. Now, again, I want to use a sports illustration here. In some countries, there could be a sports code or two that would be considered their national sports because that's what they are good in. But it doesn't make sense if you think of the country of, uh, of Congo in Africa on the equator for them to be world champions in skiing. <laughs> because they only have two seasons. They're hot and very hot. So they will not be good in, 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 in winter sports because the equatorial climate doesn't make it uh, possible for them to be champions in that. So if they have to compete, they will compete in something where they are strong. Now, in the same way, I want you to see that Satan may have looked at Jesus as a man and looked for a chink in his armor, and he said, I recognize the humanity of Jesus, and that is where I am going to hit him, because as a human, he is mortal. And he focused on the mortality of Jesus. And he thought, if I can kill him, that would deal with it. But I like what Paul says. He says, we speak the wisdom of God hidden in a mystery that God determined before the ages for our glory. And then he says this, none of the rulers of this age, now it could be natural rulers, but obviously they are influenced by spiritual rulers. It says, if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But Satan thought, this is it. So Satan and his armies did not grasp God's wise plan. He thought that the cross was going to crush Christ. He thought it was going to be failure. And the world, even today, thinks the cross is foolishness. And again, my imagination goes places. And when I read this, I was thinking about the, the duels that became popular in pre-medieval times in, in Europe especially. And if you don't know what a duel is, it's a formal com combat with weapons between two persons in the presence of witnesses. And I'm sure you've seen some of that. Now, 
something interesting about duels, it was customary that being challenged in a duel, you would have the choice of weapons. And you would obviously choose either a sword or a pistol, whatever you were, were the best at. And if we look at it, Satan should have given Jesus the choice of weapons because he's the one who challenged Jesus. But Jesus actually gave Satan the choice of weapons. And the devil was delighted and he had his mightiest weapon in his mind. And if I can use my imagination, he said to Jesus, okay, I choose death. Because no man has ever survived death. And Jesus responded and said, go ahead, make my day. <laughs> Hasta la vista, baby. I'll be back. <laughs> Hallelujah. And gave him the choice of weapons. Now, listen to this scripture, and maybe you've never seen it in this light, but, but this is such an amazing truth. It says, Inasmuch then as the children, that's us, have partaken of flesh and blood, he, that's Jesus, himself, likewise shared in the same, listen to this, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. So that was the devil's strongest weapon. Death. And Jesus said, okay, I'll take you on. And with your own weapon, I'll destroy you. Through death, he destroyed him who had the power of death. Oh, how beautiful is that? And then the good news for us. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. I like this translation. It says, we are people of flesh and blood. That's why Jesus became one of us. He died to destroy the devil who had power over death. But also died to rescue all of us who live each day in fear of dying. Here's the scripture that you quoted. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Because God gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. You don't have to fear death. When my Stepfather was dying. I had the privilege of ministering to him. And I said to him, Dad, I said, death is just your transport. <laughs> it's taking to where you want it to be. Heaven. You don't have to fear death. How beautiful is this scripture in 2 Timothy 1.10. It says, our Savior Christ Jesus has broken the power of death. And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Hallelujah. Now, let me give you this scripture I said I'm going to show you that 
that this battle took place in public. Because here's what Colossians 2.15 says. It speaks about Jesus. It says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That word translated as disarmed in the Greek is such a, 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 a beautiful word because it, it has as a, as a prefix the word apu, which means away, and then it also has ek, which means off. So then uh, here's what, what the word means. Jesus came and stripped away and stripped off Every power that the enemy had, like you would strip someone of their clothing. So he totally stripped him naked. And that's why when it says he made a public spectacle of him, it actually has a reference to the Roman conquest at that time. When they would conquer a nation, they would take the prisoners of war, strip them naked, and then do a, a, a shameful parade of them through the streets. Jesus absolutely disarmed the devil. Listen what this, this word can mean. Disarm. To spoil, to make harmless, to render defenseless, to remove power, to take away weapons, to dismantle equipment, to take apart piece by piece, to deprive of honor, to strip naked, to make null and void, to reduce to nothing, to bring to zero. what Jesus did. And here's what it says in the Passion Translation, that he made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner, they were his. Hallelujah. Jesus fought this battle for you. He conquered. But you know what the Bible says? You are more than a conqueror through Christ who loves you. A last sports illustration. Think of a heavyweight boxing champion of the world. He goes into a fight. And for 10 rounds, his opponent, opponent hits him, but he actually wins. And what happens? He's black and blue, but he gets the, battle, the, the belt again as the world champion, and he gets the prize money. He's a conqueror. He gets home and his wife says, where's the money? <laughs> and he gives her the money. He's a conqueror. She's more than a conqueror. <laughs> she didn't even fight.
That's what Jesus did for you. He suffered everything. Got the victory. And gives you the prize. More than a conqueror. And so it is so important for us to, to, to see our identity. Because you are a vanquisher and a victor. Not a victim. You are part of the church of Jesus Christ. Made up of champions. Hallelujah. And it's so important for us to realize this. We may have our battles, but never try to fight for victory. You need to fight from a position of victory. You need to realize Jesus already conquered. And if I can conclude with that last part of the Gaither song that I mentioned in the beginning. Listen what it says. Yet in my heart the battle was still raging. Not all prisoners of war have come home. They were battlefields of my own making. I didn't know that the war had been won. Then I heard that the king of all ages had won all the battles for me. And the victory was mine for the claiming. And now, praise his name, I am free. It is finished. The battle is over. We just involved in mopping up. <laughs> Hallelujah. So we need to live in the power of the cross. We need to see Christ as the conquistador, the overcomer, the conqueror in every situation. Let's stand. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. What a victory Jesus won for us. How amazing is it that we can today not fight for victory, but fight from victory, knowing that we overcome in His name. I want you to close your eyes and just want to ask you this. If you have a battle in your life right now, there's some kind of struggle that you're going through. I want you to stop fighting in your own strength. Stop trying and just yield to the conqueror. Because the battle is his, but the victory is ours. That's what he gives us as a prize. And I don't know what your battle is. Maybe you're struggling with some disease or illness. Something in your body. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's in relationships. Maybe you're struggling with temptation. Whatever it might be. Realize that Jesus won the battle for you and allow him to bring you to that place where you can see that I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me.